0: Hello and thanks very much for downloading the latest episode of the Glasgow is Green Podcast, aka GigPod. I'm Stevie and this is another GigPod Chats to Show that we have for you. On this one, I'm pleased to say I am joined by the author of Wings of Change, a book that tells the story of how Red Bull, the world's largest energy drinks manufacturer, made their mark in football. It's great to have Karan Tijwani on GigPod. Karan, welcome to the show. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. It's been a bit busy, but you know, well, yeah, I'm happy to be on here. So we're really happy to have you on, Karan. I finished your book recently. I thought it was a fantastic read. From learning about the fact that Red Bull was founded via Kratin dang, which was sold in a medicine <laughs> bottle, to the fact that Ralph Rangnick infuriated the top coaches in Germany in 1998 by being so ahead of his time. I think just about every page was filled with really interesting information about the brand, the billionaires behind the brand, uh, the individuals driving the Red Bull revolution in football, all the way to the success of the academy in the Eastern Alps. Now, this is a Celtic podcast, but I'd like to think we can cover football on a grand scale to tie it back into talking about the club that me and many of the GigPod listeners have supported all our life. So, bear with us. And we'll get to the subject of Celtic soon enough But I do have a question first off So you stated the relentlessness of RB Leipzig Beating a team 8-0 was a driving factor behind you writing this book But also RB Salzburg losing 2-0 at home to Liverpool in the Champions League Was a huge inspiration for you now I can't say from my experience as a Celtic fan, seeing my team losing the Champions League has ever given me anything other than the feeling of dejection or sometimes mortifying embarrassment. So what was so different about this Salzburg team losing that made you start this project? I think that a large part
1: of uh, what Salzburg did that and then the team they fielded that day was uh, the main reason behind me wanting to start this project, you know, as just to make it clear, I don't support Salzburg or Leipzig or whatever they do, but um, the fact that Salzburg, their team that day against Liverpool, uh, they had done so well in the Champions League that season. You know, they played against Napoli and um, Liverpool as well in the first leg of the, of the first leg of the group group phase, and they played really well until that point, and they were so close to qualifying. And in that final game against Liverpool, when they needed, they needed a win to qualify, uh, they had a very diverse team, a very young team, and the, the team was built from players who came from different uh, backgrounds in different countries. Countries that you don't normally associate with the top of football, you know, places like Zambia or Norway or uh, Japan and South Korea. Um, but the fact that the team was so diverse was very impressive. And it, it made me want to look into uh, what Red Bull do and how they uh, do it so well on a grand scale. So it, it, that was one of the main reasons behind it. And obviously, as mentioned, they were so young, you know, the average age of that team throughout the whole Champions League season, was about 23, 24 years old, maybe around around that age, 25 as well. Um, but yeah, the fact that they were so young and diverse made me want to look into it further
0: and that's how
1: the idea of the book
0: was born. Yeah, so the Red Bull model is undeniably aggressive and tactless. They rip up everything and they carry out their goals ruthlessly with not a care in the world for fans or supporter groups, no matter how much sway they may have had with the club in the past. As we saw with Austria-Salzburg... Red Bull washed away 72 years of history without any hesitation, and their patronising compromise was keeping the violet colour that the club proudly wore in the past retained on the goalkeeper's socks at away games. Now, with this in mind, how do you feel a Red Bull takeover would be met at a British club where fan culture is slowly becoming a shadow of itself, unlike, say, in Austria and Germany?
1: It is a big shadow of itself, you're right when you say that. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure about how it would be received because of how uh, compelling football is in a way. You know, there might be protests for a day and a month and a year or so, and then you know, just forgotten after a while. I just it as a part of normal life and normal football. Um, so I'm not exactly sure. You know, over the years we've seen uh, states take over clubs like Manchester City. We've seen uh, billionaires from Russia, and Abramovich, take over Chelsea, and they've been accepted. And in the cases of both City and Chelsea. Their fans love them. They're often praised for what they do and the commitment and the 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 passion they put into the club. You know, play, uh, people from City are there the club every day. People like Kalunov, Mubarak, who chairman of the club. Uh, people like Amin Abamovich, who who's so active uh, with uh, with the club that they that they're at every game and away game sometimes. And they have enjoyed success. So some people do like them and and they are often praised in the media. But for every Sheikh and every billionaire that comes from abroad there's there's a glazer family who are criticized you know for for buying the club with money they don't have for putting the club in debts when they've never been in debt before and it's not just the big clubs. you've seen smaller clubs as well lower down the divisions where clubs are going uh, bust so quickly and so so frequently these days so i'm not entirely sure how red bull would be received i imagine that there will be a fair amount of anger towards it once they're successful but i, I think the problem in England is that it's so accepted widely nowadays. It's not just a football thing. It's a government thing as well, where this sort of thing is more encouraged than ever before, and it, it's become like a normal part of life, and it shouldn't be, because football is and always should be for the fans itself. And when you deny those fan voices, it becomes a bit problematic. So uh, I'm, to give you a perfect answer, I'm not exactly sure, but I imagine uh, there
0: would be more anger than there would be joy. And you were also telling me that after you completed your book no one at Red Bull reached out or gave you any feedback or anything about the book I would have thought someone at Red Bull, even with Leipzig or Salzburg, I don't know, maybe this is just me being naive, I'm aware that these people have businesses to run but you brought them in a lot of publicity and a lot of people were more clued up on their operations but no one got in touch from Red Bull whatsoever, is that correct?
1: Yep, that is true. No one at the club or anyone at Red Bull, the organization, reached out to me. Um, I was quite surprised at that, and I thought that it would happen. You know, it's been about over three months now since the book was out, and no one still has gotten in touch with me in any form. Um, I spoke to a few ex players and ex coaches, but from the club or organization currently, there's no one that's reached out to me in any way. Which could be seen as a good thing in a way, but but I think getting that exclusive insight was was difficult. You know, even when I was writing the book, I've spoken to many people and a lot of them told me how difficult it is to uh, get in contact with people at Red Bull and, you know, that they're, they're a quite private organisation, whether that's the energy drink side or the football side. So I'm not, I'm not entirely surprised by it, but, you know, I, I imagine that someone would have by now. So
0: Who would have thought that Celtic and Red Bull would have had something in common after all by operating with such a closed-book policy? But now when it comes to talking about Celtic... I look at the players Celtic have developed over the years from where you set up. You know, there's James Forrest, Callum McGregor, Michael Johnston. I think to myself, we've done all right, but how could we improve that? And then I look at the academy that Red Bull built for Salzburg. You mentioned in your book that it took them 21 months. It's got seven football pitches, a video analysis suite, and the most state-of-the-art modern equipment that is paramount to a footballer's development. For all this is impressive, what stood out to me was that in the academy... The common belief is that it's 51% schooling, 49% football. Their motor skills and coordination are tested rigorously. They've got a training programme specifically designed to develop memory and cognitive functioning. So while clubs here may not be able to splash out financially on the IntelliGym system, and the Soccer Bot, which, listeners, is a 360 degree machine that tests players' awareness, are we missing out here in this country by not adopting some of the methods used by the Red Bull clubs towards young players? Such as the philosophy is say detachment from results, which you can explain to the audience in greater detail.
1: Uh, yeah, you are missing out for sure. I mean, it's not just a Celtic thing or a Scotland thing. It's it's a problem that's, that's faced by a large part of of the English and British football structure. You know, it's when when Ralph Renick and the rest of his of the people that worked with him, you know, became. More modern in the '90s and the late thousand, late 2000s, when they were more willing to have psychologists, when they were more willing to have uh, video analysis and technology uh, in their in their coaching methods, they were criticized a lot. You know, people thought that they were being a little high maintenance in a way. Um, but but. You know, it's been proven that it works out, and you you need to be ahead of your time to succeed in the game. The Game moves so fast nowadays. One day you're at the top of the world; next year, ten points behind Rangers. You need to be thinking ahead. You know, it's not just the next one year, the next. It's the next five, six, seven, ten years. So, you know, focusing on that and putting keen attention behind it is very important. You know, it may not be. You said you may have clear that it's not not, not possible for all clubs, especially now when uh, money is tighter than ever before. But but you need to invest in that. In order to build for the future and build a more sustainable future, and while you may have some years of struggle where you're you're not getting desired results immediately, it's worth taking that risk in order to have a better long-term future. You know, right now, we've seen we've seen at clubs like um, say Ajax or Barcelona where they're willing to invest in youngsters. Ajax had this uh, very stale period in the mid 2000s when they were mid 2010 sorry when they weren't winning the league title for a while after having won it four times in a row. And they decided to invest in their ex players to bring that old philosophy back. And now, in the last four or five years, they've been Europa League finalists and Champions League semi finalists. So, while the process may be painful at times and hurtful that you may not win trophies, the success at the end becomes even more sweeter that way. So, it, it's definitely worth taking that risk. And Celtic, you know, they're one of the biggest clubs in, in British football in, in history, not just Scotland. So, for a club to rebuild, and for a club like Celtic to rebuild, it's definitely worth taking that risk. And there will be dark moments and bad
0: moments, but it's definitely worth investing in something like that, for sure. Focusing on Celtic's encounters on the Red Bull journey, there's been six of them. Four with Salzburg, two with Leipzig. Turning our attentions to 14-15, Ronnie Dylas-Celtic were a team in transition after being dumped out of the Champions League, just at Salzburg, only we lost to Maribor. With Salzburg being knocked out by Malmö, we would suffer the same fate a year later to Malmö. Salzburg lost seven times that season, drawn seven games also, and with a total points tally of 73 in the league, they were ranked 47th in the UEFA club rankings that year, with Celtic in 62nd place. Yet we gained a respectable but fortunate draw away. The home leg was a lesson, and it was the first time I'd seen a team at the Europa League level aggressively presses a unit. I remember they narrowed their formation to control the midfield. In less than 10 years, this team were able to go to the home of a footballing institution such as Celtic on the European stage and they dominated us, implementing their brand that they set out to achieve in 2005. So my question to you is, was this simply all down to money or was it more specifically acquiring the correct personnel and having a long-term vision for your footballing operation?
1: It's a mixture of both for sure. You know, you can't just say money's done this or just what has done this. You know, with money, you get the correct and better personnel. You know, back in the early days of the Red Bull investment years, back in 2005 until about 2012, they did struggle in a way. You know, Red Bull Salzburg had the money and they were winning league titles at domestic cups. But it was clear to them that there was no long-term future because they had older players, aging players, and players who were paying being paid a lot of money and they weren't getting adequate results. And the same for Leipzig. You know, They started off in the 5th division, and they got up to the 4th and 3rd division, but they weren't able to find a way beyond that because their players didn't have the right qualities to get to them, get them to that level. And they had the ambition to go to the Bundesliga, which they eventually did. But if they were going on in the same way that they were right at the start, Leipzig, they would not have gone to the Bundesliga as quick as they did. It wasn't until Ralf Lanyek came in 2012, and Ralf Lanyek was given the freedom to do whatever he wanted uh, with the club, but they, they they were in the Bundesliga, and he he got the similar freedom at Leipzig, but with more support from uh, Dietrich Manchester and the rest of the Red Bull um, franchise. Um, but yeah, it was it wasn't until and you came in that they had a more streamlined football philosophy. And while, as I mentioned earlier, they had a few years of struggle where the uh, fans weren't on board with their uh, approach of playing with younger players, it's worked out for them very well now. And as you've seen with Celtic, they've. they've beaten and they've played very well against Celtic multiple times but but yeah it's ha- it's down to having a picture of both money, money between the right personnel and the correct personnel, and best personnel and a bit of the coaching side where Ralph Van has this philosophy of playing with the three C's which is capital concept and competence. Now capital mm-hmm. is the money he gets, um, concept is the footballing style, the, the way they play and uh, competence is down to the players which is what you instill into the players as coaches, you know they need to have the right mentality to play the right desire to grow, the right uh, ambition to become the best footballers they can be before they moved on. So if the players don't show the right amount of confidence and the right mentality to become better footballers, they won't be getting as big a chance as they do. So yeah, to answer the question, as I said before, it's down to a mixture of money and building the right philosophy and the right coaching strategies to take them to
0: the best possible level. So moving on to 2018. Celtic were paired with both of the Red Bull teams in the Europa League group stages along with Rosenberg and managed to qualify over Reignitz Leipzig, beating them at Celtic Park in the process. Brendan Rodgers side qualifying over the man whose philosophies are now ingrained into the Red Bull sides we see today, such as trying to win the ball back within 5 seconds of losing it and trying to shoot within 10 seconds of winning the ball back was slightly fortunate, but a success nonetheless. It could be downplayed as Leipzig incompetence after the result in Norway, but how did you see that one at a time you already had one eye on what was happening at both Red Bull clubs while you were writing your book? Yeah, that group was certainly interesting. Um, I I doubt we're going to see something like that ever again in
1: football, but or well, not in the near future at least, uh, because both Red Bull-linked clubs were in the same group and it caused a lot of controversy and all that, and both Celtic and Rosenberg were raising conspiracy theories or saying it's some sort of collusion going on but but on the more football side of things you could say that but leipzig's approach in the europa league that season was a bit more offbeat because they weren't entirely focusing on the europa league itself they saw it as a, a, a secondary competition and a competition for the second choice players to you know sort of gain a bit of match experience and play at a decent enough level in the europa league but because they were in a bit of a transition year, where in the previous season, Ralph Hasenhüttl had, had stopped coaching them. And the next season, Julian Nagelsmann was ju- was set to join from Hoffenheim. They had Ralph Laniak in that season for uh, just that one year to sort of help them qualify for the Champions League, um, get that extra money in and sort of build these players uh, or, or lay the foundations for the Julian Nagelsmann years, which are right now. Um, so it was a bit of a transition year, and they, they, their ambition was to get in the Champions League, which they did, and they reached the DFB, the DFB-Pokal final when they lost to Bayern Munich. So I don't think their entire focus was on the Europa League. I think that if they played their first team and they played up to their highest potential, they certainly would have had a long run, but it would have complicated that schedule. And we'd seen in, in years before that, when they played in the Champions League, that they weren't equipped to play... Uh, more than one game a week, which is what they were doing in the Champions League. They were struggling with it and in the previous season. They did struggle in the Champions League. Um, so it was just the, the the case of trying to get these players fit and get them some experience in the Europa League. But the main players, the first choice players, would have played in the Champions League. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's purely incompetent. I think it's a shifting of focus, a shifting of um, ideas and, and wanting to focus on something, something bigger, which was to get in the
0: Champions League. There was a game in 2018 that ended up Celtic 1, Salzburg 2. Now, Salzburg's approach that night is one that I believe Brendan Rodgers, despite qualifying for the knockout stages, realised that this was a style of play that he strives for, but he wouldn't achieve it at Celtic with one arm tied behind his back in the transfer market, as well as fighting a losing battle of egos with the hierarchy of the club. The manner in which we chased shadows all game and we couldn't get near them was round about the time that I think he was mentally checking out at the club. Red Bull Salzburg had taken enormous strides since beating us in 2014 at the same venue against a less experienced Celtic manager nonetheless, but now Marco Rose's team had comprehensively schooled one of the best Celtic teams led by the best Celtic manager of the decade. Do you support that theory that three months after the defeat, when Brendan Rodgers left for Leicester, he would have learned more that night in the Europa League losing to Salzburg in that manner than he would have after countless heavy Champions League thumpings. Yeah, for sure. I think that the Europa League is
1: a valuable competition uh, when you come to that regard. You know, in, in the Champions League, you're playing the upper elite all the time, or most of the time, especially nowadays when the clubs outside the top five leagues barely get out to the knockout rounds. In the Europa League, it's more free. You know, this season we've not had any German. We're not going to have any German clubs in the last sixteen. I think it's the same for the French clubs as well. But so you definitely get to experience newer clubs and newer coaching ideas. And there are there are some excellent coaches out there and excellent teams out there. You know, this season we're seeing Slavia Prague, um, who in, in Czech Republic have one of the best defensive records and they have the one one of the best defensive records in Europe. And they probably they're, they're enjoyable team to watch. And they beat Leicester uh, in the Europa League last night. Same Ben Rogers team. But, but yeah, it's definitely a good learning curve for several of these managers, especially when you're a younger manager and Steven Gerrard going to have a lot of fun with them for sure. But it's the same for Red Bull clubs. I think Brendan Rodgers would have definitely enjoyed learning from them and playing against them. That sort of philosophy which he tries to employ nowadays with, with Leicester, um, he must have learned a lot from it playing against both Salzburg and Leipzig. So he was... He, it is definitely a good learning curve for him you know in the previous season they played PSG and Bayern Munich in the Champions League and they got hammered by both of them mm-hmm. um so and Bayern Munich are, and both PSG and Bayern Munich both have the resources that Celtic may never have in the near future so it's it's impossible to say that you want to play their way or invest in in, in the way PSG and Bayern Munich do but when it comes to a club from Austria like Salzburg who have sort of similar ambition and similar circumstances where they are seen as the underdog more often. It's something that you can learn and pick a lot from, so it's definitely a good learning curve for him, and he would have definitely seen it as a, a good a good chance to pick up a few ideas here and then and take it to Leicester.
0: Talking about direction now, in terms of Celtic and Salzburg here, we we'll look at Salzburg's replacement of Marco Rosa. Now, they could have played it safe and appointed a steady pair of hands to succeed him at a Ricardo Moniz or a Hub Stevens figure, just to keep the ship straight for a season or two and then figure it out after that but no, they decided to bring in Jesse Marsh an ambitious man who bought into their strategy and he wasn't content just to keep things ticking over but he tried to actually improve upon what Marco Rosa has already implemented Celtic replaced Brendan Rodgers with Neil Lennon Now, Neil Lennon has since left Celtic and already John Collins has sounded out Salzburg's Jesse Marsh as the replacement for Neil Lennon and the man to take Celtic forward I'm all for it but you're ready to break my heart. How likely is that to really happen?
1: I don't think it's very likely because of the offers or the interest he's attracting from elsewhere. I don't know about offers, but from the interest, certainly. He's certainly been attracting a lot of interest from uh, elsewhere, notably Germany. You know, he was linked to the president Dortmund job uh, before Marco Rosa got the job eventually. But there, w- there won't be a short of, shortage of suitors from the German Bundesliga. And the German Bundesliga is more suited to what he does and what Salzburg do. You know, three of the last four uh, Red Bull Salzburg managers have gone to manage in the Bundesliga. That's Marco Rosa, the previous one, okay. uh, Jesse, uh, not, uh, Roger Schmidt, the first one, and uh, uh, Adi Hütter who's not Eintracht Frankfurt. So it, it's it seems like the ideal destination for ex-Salzburg managers to go to the Bundesliga. And it seems like uh, Jesse Marsh will eventually end up there. You know, th- The Gladbach job will be open. Uh, in the summer, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him go there. So I, I think that Celtic seems incredibly unlikely. It would be a good project for sure, and seems like he's he's fit for it. You know, be- rebuilding a club and rebuilding the title challenge, and he'd he'd be one of the most exciting managers in Scotland. But I think he needs more investment and more assurance. And if he goes to Gladbach, for example, he'd be working under an excellent sporting director and Max Ebel, who's probably the best in the Bundesliga or one of the best for sure. And I don't think he's going to get that at Celtic just yet. So. From a job security-wise and from a playing perspective and from a style perspective, Germany seems a more likely destination than Scotland.
0: Okay, a potential double whammy of heartbreak coming up here, Kiran. But the other week I was asked who is currently unattached at a club just now that I'd love to see you brought in um, and appointed as Celtic manager. I said Ralph Rangnick. However, I'm aware that Ralph Rinek not back Chelsea not so long ago, and he has never managed outside of Germany. So I'm sure he can smash me right in the heart and confirm that he's probably not going to be anywhere near Celtic in the future.
1: I think that seems incredibly unlikely as well. I think more unlikely than Jesse Marsh, which might hurt a bit. But personally, I actually like the I like the idea of it. It seems pretty nice for him to go to Scotland and you know see what he can do in in the Champions League or the Europa League with them. But it, once again, it seems unlikely because Ralph Lennick is the sort of person who wants that sort of assurance and he's more meticulous than, than a Jesse Marsh or a Marco Ruz or whoever. He wants that sort of assurance and he's happy to leave clubs or, or leave them being if they don't give him that sort of backing. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's a bit of a volatile character when it comes to that, you know, I, I throw him in a bad way, in a good way. He wants that sort of backing that he gets everywhere else. And that's the same support. I don't think that Celtic would be able to give him that, you know, especially how they've how they've done lately and the the lack of clarity in the stuff they do. You know, the Dubai trip, this season falling eighteen points behind, and not in, not willing to invest in in younger players. And he wants that sort of thing, which he won't get at Celtic. So it seems pretty unlikely for him to consider the, the Celtic job.
0: As you say in your book, Red Bull's outlook, in a nutshell, is entertaining football, emphasis on youth, not just in players but management as well. Mistakes are made, as with everything, but there's still a high level of control and efficiency across the clubs connected with them. The Red Bull revolution is only just starting, where do you see their operation in, say, 10 years' time?
1: I think from a Leipzig perspective, I'm going to split this in two parts for for both the European clubs, from a Leipzig perspective, I think they need a trophy um, quite soon, whether that's... I think the DFB-Pokal this season seems pretty unlikely because Bayern Munich are knocked out and Leipzig will feel like they are top favourites. They are the second-best club in the Bundesliga, um, the best after Bayern. And since Bayern are out, they will see that it's a good chance for them to win that first major trophy. They haven't won a trophy at this level. And Julian Nagelsmann seems like the right man to bring it to them. He, that's what he was bought in for, to take them to the next level after Ralph Hasnut and Ralf um sort of laid the foundations for him. In, in the next five, ten years, they need to be in a position where they can win the Bundesliga. The Champions League is very unlikely, as we saw last week. You know, Even when Liverpool were not at their best in terms of form, in terms of fitness for players, Liverpool still had a fairly comfortable comfortable game. Um, and Leipzig will probably go out. Um, so they don't have the players to take them to the Champions League or the Bundesliga just yet. But in the next two or three years, they need to be in a position where they can take advantage and, and topple Bayern Munich. Every year they they lose top players, or almost every year they lost Naby Keita three years ago, Timo Werner last year, Nuno McConnell is certain to go this year to Bayern Munich. So they're not getting any stronger in that sort of sense. But if they can win a trophy this year, they can certainly feel like they can attract, they can, for- they can enable their players to stay on for longer and attract better players in the future. So in the next ten years, winning at least one Bundesliga title is important for them. And um, in the Champions League, I think they'd want at least. One or two quarterfinal runs, or one semi-final run, if they can match last season's achievements. Um, but from a Salzburg perspective, I think the Europa League. Obviously, they were knocked out last night by Virial. They From a Europa League perspective, they feel they should be able to challenge for even longer. You know, they reached the semi-finals a couple of years ago, and I think that that's their their level. Uh, in the book, I spoke to Ernst Tanner, and I asked him what Salzburg's ambition should be, and he said a similar thing. He said that. In the Champions League, because they're an Austrian club, and because they will always get a difficult draw in the group stages, the best they can hope for is fighting until the end, and at the very least finishing second in their group, because that that is what uh, their resources allow them to. You know, we've seen in the last two years when they face clubs like Liverpool and Napoli and Bayern Munich and Atletico Madrid, they are up to the challenge and they want to play the best clubs and they can take it all the way to the end. You know, for the last two seasons, qualification went down to the last day and they eventually lost out on individual quality. So there is no mm. clear problem in their coaching or in their philosophy. They have a way to get to the end and take the best teams to the end. So if they can get a couple of long-term Europa League runs, it's an excellent return for them. I think that they're winning domestic trophies anyways. They won the Cup in the league for, for, for the last couple of years, and that's it's sort of a, a given each year that they will win these two trophies. But in Europe, The biggest ambition should be to challenge the Europa League as far as they can and perhaps getting into the round of 16 at least once would be a major achievement for an Austrian club.
0: Well, I'm sitting here full of rage and jealousy at the fact that supporters of these Red Bull clubs have such a bright and optimistic future. Fair play to them. You know, my own club, it's been such a dismal season. You can probably hear it in my voice. Um, We have eliminated one of the problems and there'll be a second problem eliminated when Peter Lawwell leaves there's going to be a big summer of change players, backroom staff we're going to have a new CEO and director of football so hopefully things are looking up right now I'm quietly confident that we're going to have a good summer but (laughs) review that answer when we play Rangers in a couple of weeks and then I'll tell you how I really feel what will chop and change up until I can see that there's progress made week to week. It's baby steps, Kiran, but this has just been our season. We just have to take it one game at a time before you know we comment on a bigger picture at this stage.
1: Yep. I actually thought forward what the Celtic are doing because they've been sort of similar and uniform in the last few years where they've been winning league titles and perhaps that's been masking over the issues they've had. But this summer, or this, how many of a month we have left until, until the start of the new season. It looks quite exciting. I hope they go into a new angle. I think we need a Scottish club going far in, in, in the Champions League. So... It would be interesting to see how they go. And Rangers are doing really well for themselves. I, I don't know if I should say that on this podcast. Yeah, but but it, I look forward to seeing how Celtic do in the summer.
0: Okay, Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on GigPod. And it's been quite cool that while covering Celtic, we're able to give you a platform and perhaps give the audience a chance to learn more about your book, Wings of Change. Where can they find that if they're interested?
1: Uh, Wings of Change can be found on Amazon, Waterstones, uh, W.H. Smith, Book Depository. It's available on all major outlets that you buy books from. And it's also available on the Pitch Publishing website. The book released last November, and uh, yeah, it it was released by Pitch Publishing.
0: Yeah, I'm happy to see more people getting it, and it is on a discounted price on Amazon as well, so. And finally, where can the audience find out more about you personally, as I believe that you also write long form for a couple of outlets?
1: Yeah, I'm available on a lot of websites, uh, websites like These Football Times and Breaking the Lines, and for a more social media-based thing, I'm available on Twitter all times uh, at Karan underscore 26
0: Thanks, Karan. Thanks a lot for coming on GigPod again, and good luck with the book. No worries, Steve. Thank you for having me. This has been another GigPod Chats to Show, and we're on every podcast platform you can imagine. Rating and reviewing us really helps us out too, so do it if you can. This was another different episode, but we are a different kind of Celtic podcast, and if you enjoyed this, please subscribe to us, Thanks for listening and hail, heal. Sports
1: Social Podcast Network.